Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the podcast today. I hope you're having a a great Christmas week, a week leading up to uh, leading up to Christmas, where you can spend a lot of time with your friends and family, the ones that you choose to spend time with. I knew a guy that said one time, the the prettiest lights at Christmas were those tail lights going up the driveway. So, either way you go with it, I, I hope that you're having a great week. Well, today we're going to begin a study of the book of Matthew, and we've entitled this study Matthew in Review. Now we will. Proceed slowly through this gospel account. We're going to attempt to glean from every second of the life of Christ and the events that occurred while he was on earth. I'm not sure how long this study is going to take for us to complete. Throughout the year, we'll take breaks periodically and recognize seasons and events. And But, but this book will be the focus of our attention for the better part of next year, if not all of it. Now, the events in the gospel of Matthew... They, they take place after 400 years of silence by God. There, there was no revelation, no prophecy, no miracles during that time. It was a time when God seemed extremely distant from Israel. Gary Hamrick, the pastor at Calvary Chapel, says that the silence was God's way of getting their attention. It's, he says it's similar to you know, someone about to make a big announcement and asking for everyone else to be quiet. Well, God was silent for 400 years before making the big announcement of the Messiah. Now, after Jesus came on the scene and left to return to heaven, there was a period of about 30 or 40 years of orally telling his story. And then Matthew decided to write down the the saga of Christ. Now, we don't know a lot about Matthew. He he seems extremely humble to me, a, a very um, humble person. Uh, you know, in his accounts of the life of Christ, he speaks of himself only in third person and only once. In Matthew 9, you know, he lists his name with, um, with, with the other disciples. That was Matthew 10. In Matthew 9, he talks about himself in, in third person. So th- this is really all he wrote about himself. We learn a, a tiny bit more about him in Luke's gospel. In in chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, we learned that his other name is Levi, that he was a tax collector, which means he was hated by the Jews for working for their captors and, and stealing from his fellow countrymen. Luke, Luke tells us that Matthew chose to follow Christ. He gave a party to introduce his fellow tax collectors to Jesus. And that's nearly everything that the Bible says about him. Now, not all of the stories in Matthew's accounts are in, in chronological order. He sometimes grouped similar things together. He obviously knew the Old Testament writings because he quoted them over a hundred times, over a hundred verses uh, of the Old Testament did he include in his New Testament account. He, he wrote his account to show his fellow Jews that Jesus was really indeed the promised Messiah. He mentions the kingdom of Christ so many times in his gospel. That phrase, the kingdom of God, uh, is is only mentioned 34 times in the New Testament. The kingdom of God, that phrase. He mentions it 32. 
32 out of the 34 times was from him. He he was intent on reaching his fellow Jews with the message that Jesus was Emmanuel, that he'd begun to set up his kingdom on earth. And we see this emphasized in the first verse of that gospel. Matthew chapter 1, 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, every Israelite, Every Israelite knew of the Abrahamic covenant. We, we've talked about this recently. Remember, the covenant was, was with Abraham, and it was conditional because Abraham, or Abram, uh, needed to move out of his father's house and from his father's land, but it was also an unconditional covenant because it would be realized years after Abraham's life was, was over. And there was many others in his line that could possibly affect that outcome, but God would not let it do it. Let them do it. The, the covenant, the covenant was a promise by God to make Abraham's descendants a great nation, a great nation. They would have their own land. He promised them a great name, and he said they would bless others, and he would bless others through them, uh, and and he would bless them. And and the Jews, the Jews were waiting on this. And Matthew decided to write to the Jews to tell them that this covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, now remember that, that God had made a similar promise to David. God, God would make David's name great, like the great ones of the earth is what the Bible says, like Abraham. David's offspring would do great things for God's glory, like building the temple. And the throne of David would eventually be an eternal throne. Matthew wanted his fellow Jews to know that Jesus is in the line of David and sits on the eternal throne in his kingdom. This is the reason Matthew includes a genealogy. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in verse 2. You can follow along, but if again, if you're driving, don't do that. Just listen. And I, I'm going to tell you up front, this is a difficult passage to read because it's all names and it's ancient names, ones that we don't really use a whole lot anymore, and some of them are a little hard to um, to pronounce. But follow along. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadad, and Abinadad the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Ovid, by Ruth, and Ovid, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Then we get to the second part of verse 6. And David was the father of Solomon by his wife Uriah, by the wife of Uriah. We know that as Bathsheba. Verse 7, And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Je- Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation of Babylon. That's when, when uh, Babylon... Uh, ransacked Jerusalem and took people back to uh, to be their slaves. Verse 12, we're almost done. Hang in there with me. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, 
And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azer, and Azer, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliad. All right, you hanging with me? Verse 15. And Eliad, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. I told you there's some difficult names in here. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now, I want you to pick up on a few takeaways from this passage, and you're thinking, what in the world is the takeaway from this passage? Well, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot. There's a lot. So let's uh, let's dig in this together. First, when Matthew gives the family line of Jesus, the intention is more than just a simple history report. If this were simply a recording of history, it would be written differently. Matthew's making an intentional account. Now we have to mention that this list is a is an incomplete compilation. There there were others in this line, but Matthew only mentions the most prominent, recognizable names. The Jews would have understood that this was not a complete lineage when they read it, but but a similar uh, but a summary, I mean, of of the line of Christ connecting him with David and with Abraham. So why mention the 14 generations um, in, in verse 17? Why, why mentions the 14 generations in each of those gaps? Well, to be honest, the, the significance of that is unclear because the reader, you know, you have to read this like, like a Jewish person. Numbers are a very big deal to Jewish readers, especially at that time. And numbers would be evident throughout this whole gospel. So he includes these 14 generations at every, at all three of those, those sections. Maybe these were to help people memorize the lineage. Who knows? But the point is made that, that Jesus is in the line of David, who is in the line of Abraham. So we, we know that, that he's being very intentional. Matthew's being very intentional in this, um, this list, which is more than a history report. We also know that this is more than just a, a Jewish history report because the list includes women and Gentiles. Now, Jewish historians at that time, they didn't do this. The lineage lists five women, some who were Gentiles and people just Jewish historians just absolutely would not have done this. Tamar is mentioned. Well, Tamar acted as a prostitute in order to sleep and have a child with her father-in-law. <laughs> she was not a good person. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Gentile idolater who had a child through an incestuous relationship. Rahab was was a Gentile prostitute who was a traitor to her own people. And Bathsheba mentioned only as, as Uriah's wife here, had an adulterous affair with King David. And Mary, well, Mary had, had a, tarred, uh, a marred, a tarnished uh, reputation for having, uh, having a child out of, out of wedlock. So if this were a history report, history report to be preserved for generations as a formal record for the nation, these women would probably have been left out. So the intention must be more than just a simple history report. Now, another thing that jumps off the page of this account is that the lineage transcends 
just the family tree of Jesus. I mean, when studied, it becomes clear that there's a there's a lot behind the writing. For one, the lineage is written with Jewish prophecy in mind. I've already mentioned the connection to Abraham and to David, that Jesus would be the fulfillment of the covenant he made with Abraham and the promises that God made with David. So again, the beginning verse of the gospel connects Jesus to the covenants he made with those faithful men. And the nation... The nation knew that the Savior, the Messiah, Emmanuel, would come through the line of these men. So this lineage transcends just a family tree. It is connecting them to people who are very important in their in the life of their, their country. Now, Matthew wants you to understand that when you read this, you will see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. Like I said, you know, he would come from... The line of David. God told, remember, God told David, we just talked about this. God told David in 2 Samuel 7 that your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jesus is in the line of David. Now, when think about it. When Jesus ascended, he told his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. So Jesus is in the highest place of authority forever. Jesus is king forever. That's why we call him king of kings. There's been plenty of of kings and leaders in this world, but there's one who's above him. He's them. He's the king of kings. Isaiah told us, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. In the millennial kingdom, he will sit on the throne of David. Jesus is literally the fulfillment of that promise. <clears throat> now Luke's gospel gives a a similar a similar lineage to Matthew's but it runs through the line of Mary. It turns out <clears throat> Mary is is also a distant relative of David. Matthew's gospel lineage is through the line of Joseph. Uh, Luke's account gives credence to the genealogy by by bloodlines. You know, Jesus shared blood with Mary to experience life as a man, but but Matthew's lineage gives credence to the to the the genealogy by legal means. Joseph legally adopted Jesus and raised him as his own. Both of these are a fulfillment of the prophecy. Now listen, you're going to like this, of the prophecy listed in Isaiah 9 chapter 6. Check this out. For unto us a child is born, to us, a son is giving. Now, we look at that and say, that is, that's beautiful, poetic type writing. In fact, that was, that was written just for Handel's Messiah, you know, in, in those, that famous song. But you got to realize that that is two separate prophecies. For unto us, a child is born. A child was born to Mary. To us, a son is given. The son is given to Joseph for adoption. That's cool, huh? Jesus is the fulfillment of of God's promises. I want you to notice that the lineage of the Son of God includes sinners. That is so wild to me. The lineage of the Son of God includes sinners. Now, I've already mentioned the women, but what about the men? Well, think about the men in in, in Jesus's family tree. This is not a beautiful tree. Abraham was a liar. He lied about his wife. He said twice that she was his sister just to save his own neck. Jacob was a deceiver. 
He cheated Esau, his brother, out of his birthright, and again tricked his dad out of his brother's blessing. Judah was a a womanizer who slept with his own daughter-in-law. David was an adulterer. He was a murderer. Solomon was, was a wise man, yeah, but he was an idolater, and he was quite a Romeo. He literally had 1,000 women that he could choose from which he could choose to sleep with every night. Rehoboam was so divisive, he divided the nation into two parts. And Manasseh, Manasseh was evil. He sacrificed his own son to a demon. Look, this list goes on and on. Jesus had an egregious line of sinners in his family tree. His tree was jacked up. You might say he was from Louisiana. (laughs) I'm from Louisiana. I can say that. Let me just say that our family trees don't have a lot of forks in them. Just just saying it that way. So, so let's review. So the intention of the lineage is more than a simple history report. And the lineage transcends the family tree of Jesus. But I want you to recognize something else very, very important in this passage. This list gives us hope. You're like, what? How in the world are you going to find any hope in this list? Well, I want to tell you it does. And by us, I'm I'm talking about Christians. We Christians. uh, Christians who sometimes sin. The difference between a Christian who sins and a non-Christian who sins is that we hate it. Christians hate it when we sin. So we want and we pray that God will make us to get better at avoiding our temptations and our sins. We hate it, right? Well, listen, God can use you to accomplish his holy plan even when you sin. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying that, that, um, you know, we can sin and and it doesn't matter because God's going to accomplish his holy plan. I'm not talking like that. That doesn't make much sense when you read the whole Bible. But God can accomplish his holy plan through you regardless of, of your righteous lifestyles choices. I mean, he did obviously with these people. He used people who died in their sin and are in hell in the lineage of Jesus. What kind of messed up notion do you do you have to think that he can't use his own beloved people whom he's died for their sin? He's going to shape the future using us. Now, he can use you He can use your lineage to do great things. Do do you think that King David, following his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, said, you know, that's it for me. I'm done. I've disqualified myself and God has abandoned me. He didn't say that. He repented to God. He took his punishment and he moved forward in God's purposes. You can too. You can too. When you sin, admit to God your sin. Ask him to help you to turn from that and never turn to that again. Take your discipline, take your punishment and move forward. God can use you to accomplish his holy plan. Another thing I want to encourage you with today is that your family sins, they do not have to be your sins. They don't have to be your sins. Just just because your dad was a drunkard doesn't mean you have to be. Don't Don't use that stupid line, but you got wasted all the time, Dad, and you turned out all right. That is a a ridiculous, thoughtless, uh, thoughtless argument. 
if if it's iterated, reiterated by by someone, you want to look at them and say, so so you want to make poor decisions, you want to put relationships in jeopardy, you want to look like an out of control fool. You, so that argument, you did those things, Dad. Why can't I be a fool? Well, I want to tell you, don't be an idiot. Break the chain of family sins once and for all. If you come from a long line of liars, a long line of drunkards, a long line of adulterers, be man or woman enough to break the cycle. And you can do that if God's Spirit lives in you. That's why Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen to this. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Your family's sins do not have to be your sins. Grasp this today. Your family history does not define your identity or your mission. Jesus didn't allow the lives and the reputations of his forefathers and foremothers to dictate who he would become or what he would accomplish for the cause of his father, his heavenly father. Look, your family may be the biggest heathen, hedonistic, arrogant, sinful jerks on the planet, but their lives do not get to define who you are and what you do. Yes, you can love your family and not participate in their lifestyle. You can love your family and not align with their reputations. You can show love across the righteous line that you drew in the sand. You you can be known by your, your own actions, your own convictions, your own righteous work. And your family history does not get to define your identity or your mission. And another thing, your family history does not dictate your destiny. Listen, if you are a Christ follower, neither your earthly legacy nor your eternal destiny will ever align with those of your lost family members. You have to, you got to realize that. I know you love them and you're mandated to love them, but you and they are headed in two different directions. And until you come to grips with that, you're never going to live the life you're intended to live and you're never going to love them like Jesus loved them. The truth is you are called to live a life of righteousness. You're called to live a life where you love and share the gospel, the the gospel message of Christ that will change lives. If you have a lost family, uh, lost family members realize that they don't have the same destiny as you. And when you draw that line in the sand of, of, of things that you're not going to do, I am not crossing this line and you're able to continue to love them. You're loving them with a deeper love than you you could possibly imagine. Your family history, your current family actions, that they can weigh you down and cause you to fall short of your own destiny. Look, your your family members do not have to dictate your destiny. And I ha- I have to stop there, but please know this, everybody, everybody, including Jesus, has a jacked up family tree. But God can use that truth as a contact point for ministry. You can identify with others without doing the things they do. You can identify with them. Everybody has a crazy Aunt Betsy. Everybody. But through the process of sanctification in which God makes you better than you currently are, God can break the chain of familial sin. God will set you, God will set you on a different path than unsaved sinners. Understand and accept that. Embrace it. There will be a line in the sand you cannot cross. But by staying on the right side of it, you can love deeper than you've ever loved before. 
Because you want them to have the same destiny as you, right? So trust Him. Trust the plan. Trust God to do this in and through you. Well, I hope that that was a, a benefit to you. I hope that was an encouragement to you. Those who are trying their hardest to to maintain a righteous lifestyle in the midst of a, a family who does not embrace those same values. I hope that's an encouragement to you. An encouragement that, that you you have a different destiny. You you have you have a different lifestyle, and it's okay. And you can continue to love them in spite of their actions. Because you want them to have that same blessing of a relationship with Christ and, and knowing that. I hope that was an encouragement to you. Look, I, I hope you have a, a great Christmas. I hope you have a, a great New Year. I'll come back with the next teaching. We're going to start back probably in Matthew chapter uh, 3, or it may be the end of Matthew chapter 2, because we've already covered some of those other things through the Christmas series. And so come back, uh, you know, and don't don't miss a one. I hope you have a great week. Call me or email me if you need me, mike at fbcclover.com. Email me, and I'll be glad to, to uh, have a, an online conversation with you. But until then, be blessed. Have a great week. And remember, God is pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed and remember, God is pro you.